Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. The reading this morning is from uh, John chapter 4, and as you already know, it's on the service sheet. And I'm only going to read up to verse 14. Verse 1. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptising more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptised, but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Well, do please sit down. Well, again, let me uh, add my own welcome to that of uh, Ben's earlier in the service. It's uh, extremely good uh, that you're here, and uh, especially if you don't normally come. And uh, it would be, I think, helpful for you if you uh, turn in your service order to page two and to the uh, reading uh, that Rob read for us just a little while ago. And we're going to have a look at that. That's one little section of the Bible, John's Gospel, uh, one section from it. And uh, we believe that uh, it is uh, the Bible which uh, tells us how to live life and what life is about And that's why uh, we're going to look at it uh, now for a a short while. Well, as we do that, let me um, pray for us now. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we've sung of uh, joy and peace and hope and help and love. uh, Things that we uh, can't live without. And so we ask you, please, to help us to be convinced that these things are found in the Lord Jesus Christ alone. And we ask it in his name. Amen. In Vanity Fair magazine, the pop legend Madonna describes what motivates her in life. And it's a real surprise. She says this, I have an iron will and all of my will has always been to conquer some horrible feeling of inadequacy. I push past one spell of it and discover myself as a a special human being. And then I get to another stage and think I'm mediocre and uninteresting again and again. My drive in life is from this horrible fear of being mediocre and that's always pushing me, pushing me because even though I've become somebody, I still have to prove that I am somebody. My struggle has never ended and it probably never will. 
Now, Madonna is absolutely right, which isn't something I ever expected to hear myself saying from a Christian pulpit. Madonna is absolutely right. Her struggle to prove that she's somebody will probably never end. If that's what she's pursuing in life, she'll never find the satisfaction that she so craves. She'll never be content. Now, it's that struggle to find satisfaction and contentment and and meaning in life, which is right at the heart of this story in John chapter 4 that we have printed out here. This is about a longing which itself is right at the heart of the existence of every man and woman and boy and girl who ever walked this planet. It is that need to find some that something. Listen to the words of Jesus uh, that we heard read just a bit earlier by Rob. Listen to the words of Jesus, John chapter 4, verse 13, uh, two-thirds of the way down. Jesus speaks to this woman at the well and he says, everyone who drinks this water, this water at the well, will be thirsty again. That seems such an obvious statement, doesn't it? Whoever drinks this water, water from a well, will be thirsty again. Those are hardly the penetrating words of the Son of God. Until we read on and see that Jesus is talking about much more than just physical water. Again, verse 13, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus here is talking about a thirst that is in every single one of us, a craving in us for something more, more than than could be found in space and time. And here he's saying that anything you drink in time and space will leave you thirsty again. This is a fascinating moment in John's gospel. You don't have it in front of you, but if you were to turn up John's gospel, in chapter three, Jesus meets a Pharisee, a religious person called Nicodemus. And here at the beginning of chapter four, Jesus meets a woman at the well. Nicodemus and a woman at the well. Everything about these two people are poles apart except for one thing. They could not be more different in that one is a man and the other is a woman. One a Pharisee, a religious person of great standing. The other a Samaritan, a religious no-hoper. One is moral, a more upright man you're unlikely to find. The other, she is a, an immorally loose woman, so much so that she's considered a social pariah. These two could not be more different. Nicodemus came at night. This woman met him at midday. You'll see that in verse six. It was the sixth hour, the heat of the day when the sun was the brightest. And of course, Nicodemus has a name and this woman, we just know her as the woman at the well. These two people then could not be more different except for one thing, they both have a thirst. They are both searching for the meaning of life. And they are here in John's gospel in chapter three and four, side by side, deliberately to demonstrate to us that whoever we are, Nicodemus or the woman, religious and upright or totally immoral, respected or ostracized, whoever we are, we're in need, in need of something that only Jesus can give us. I uh, came across a fascinating article in the Sunday Times uh, some years back. Um, It's called The Great Happiness Hunt. It's written by the journalist uh, Daisy War. Her teenage daughter was listening to Leona Lewis, the X Factor winner, singing, I just want to be happy. The chorus goes like this. I just want to be happy, happy. I just want to be, oh, I just want to be happy. 
Um, I probably, it's probably lost something in my reading it that way, but it's probably a very good song. Anyway, did, uh, uh, Daisy War is listening to this and then she writes, for heaven's sake, I long to shout back, can't you at least be more specific? I told my daughter that wanting to be happy didn't count as an ambition, not in itself. I don't think she believed me. If I'm brutally honest, I'm not sure that I believed it either. But it's the sort of thing parents are meant to say to their children, isn't it? Of course, as we all know, wanting to be happy has become something of a religion for my generation. The fashion to come up with ever more outlandish ways to achieve personal fulfilment has become ever more frantic. I've lost count of the clever, high-achieving friends I've waved off on their preposterous back-to-basics, self-actualising adventures, animal counting in Kenya, cheese-making in Wales, landscape gardening in Melbourne, novel writing in Rome, poverty ameliorating in Thailand, compost lavatory building in Spain. Add to that the apparently unending stream of newspaper and magazine articles featuring good-looking English expats ecstatically self-actualising from their vineyards in France, olive groves in Tuscany and so on. The question is, of course, did any of these fashionably adventurous people ever find what they were looking for? Possibly not, if my own experiences are anything to go by. I've been a fairly feverish participant in the great happiness hunt since the moment my parents ceded control. In fact, looking back, it occurs to me I've gone chasing up just about every blind alley that ever caught my eye. A million love songs, egocentric projects, lonely sunspots and disappointing destinations later, here I am, back at my desk in old London town with a pile of unopened brown envelopes in one corner and the same inescapable shadow of my own mortality in the other. It doesn't matter where you run, she writes, or which tent you shelter under. It turns out some things just won't go away. It's a a refreshingly honest piece, don't you think? We're all searching for something. Except some here will say, no, no, I'm not searching for anything. I'm not longing for happiness with Leona Lewis or struggling to become somebody like Madonna. I'm not like one of Daisy War's friends who've gone off around the world in search of that missing something. No, this pursuit of happiness is not an issue for me. And that's where this contrast with Nicodemus and this woman at the well is so fascinating once again. You see, Nicodemus is obviously searching. He approached Jesus. He sought out Jesus. He wanted to ask Jesus questions, asking Jesus who he was, where he came from. But this woman at the well, this, for this woman, there's no obvious searching going on at all. In verse 7, you'll see, she's just going about her daily routine. She's come to the well for water. That's what she did day after day. She's not searching for anything. She didn't go looking for Jesus. He was just there. She didn't even start the conversation with him. He spoke to her. She's not searching for anything, is she? But look what happens as Jesus begins to engage her in conversation and ask her questions. It doesn't take long before we discover that her whole life has been a search for more. Look down right to the bottom in verse 18. We discover she's had a string of relationships and five broken marriages later she was now living with a man who wasn't her husband. See, whether she knew it or not, she'd spent her life looking for love and acceptance and satisfaction in men. And so the water she went to get that day was just a little picture, a metaphor, if you like, of her whole life, of her thirst in life. That's why Jesus said in verse 13, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. Jesus was speaking about 
far more than water from a well. There's a craving in us, in all of us, a craving that things in time and space cannot satisfy. Indeed, anything we drink in time and space will leave us thirsty again. Like fetching water, we have to keep going back to the same thing every day to quench our thirst. For this woman, she was looking for this missing thing in the arms of men. For us, well, it may be relationships, but it could well be something else. It could be our career, believing that a great job will give us the status and money to be able to to be someone and to go places. It can be a a thirst for materialism or hedonism, for leisure or pleasure, holidays or early retirement, a trip round the world. It can be the pursuit of beauty, because if I look good enough, I can have everything I want, can't I? In the movie Chariots of Fire, one of the the characters, an Olympic sprinter, says this, just before running the 100-metre final, contentment, I'm 24 and I've never known it. I'm forever in pursuit and I don't even know what it is I'm chasing. I'll raise my eyes and look down that corridor four feet wide with ten lonely seconds to justify my whole existence. But will I? Telling words, aren't they? I'm forever in pursuit and I don't even know what I'm chasing. Some people can articulate it as he could. Others, like this woman at the well, don't even know they're looking for it. But believe me, deep down, we're all looking for that something, that something for which we were made. I reckon it's often what lies behind a midlife crisis. Suddenly half your life has gone. The best years of your life in terms of health and fitness and looks have slipped away. And what now? What do you have to look forward to now? Midlife is the point in your life when you've either reached a level in your career that you always aimed for or when you begin to realise that your dreams will never be realised. If you've achieved, you begin to feel that empty so what feeling. If you haven't achieved, you begin to fear that 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 elusive something is now out of reach forever. And so you begin to feel the frustration of it all. You've worked your socks off and still there's that nagging feeling that you haven't yet got what's missing. And that is such a lonely place to be. Such a hard thing to admit to as well. Because all your life, everyone around you has been telling you that this is what life is all about. This this pursuit of stuff. The problem is these other things keep luring us in. And for a while they do seem to satisfy. There are times when that longing seems to be met. When we first fall in love, when we get the new job, when we buy our new home. We think this is going to fulfil my dreams, but it doesn't. C.S. Lewis, in in this book, uh, excellent book, Mere Christianity, he, he puts it like this. Most people, if they really had learned to look into their own hearts, would know that they do want, and want acutely, something that cannot be had in this world. There are all sorts of things in this world that offer to give it to you, but they never quite keep their promise. Isn't that right? And then he goes on to explain it further. He says that every time we have that feeling of disappointment, uh, we can do one of four things. He says, firstly, we can blame the things. We look at our successes and we say, I've made it. Why am I not satisfied? Why am I so unhappy? And we think to ourselves, ah, this is the wrong job, the wrong house, the wrong wife. So people keep changing mates and houses and careers. We're saying all the time, it must be the things. I need new things. 
So we blame the things, or second, we blame ourselves. I'm unhappy because I haven't achieved. I've made bad choices. I should never have married that person or taken that job. We blame the things, we blame ourselves. Or third, we blame the universe. So we say, I've just come to realise that you can't expect anything out of life. I've given up on trying to be happy. And you become bitter. And like a grumpy old man, you rob other people of their excitement in life too. You go around saying cynically, there's no point looking for happiness. It can't be found. It's not possible in this universe. See what Lewis is doing? He says you blame the things and you become a fool, thinking it's just that you haven't got the right thing yet. You blame yourself and you become depressed. You blame the universe and you become a cynic and a misery to be around. Or fourth, says Lewis, you can blame your separation from God. I cannot find satisfaction in this world because I was built for another world, he says. The reason I'm so thirsty is because I'm made for eternal life, but I'm trying to satisfy my thirst in temporal things. We weren't made for time and space. We were made for something much more. We were made for Jesus. And that's why he says in verse 13, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. See, look at this woman on this day and it didn't seem as if she was looking for anything. She was just going about her daily routine. But look more deeply as Jesus did and we see her whole life was a pursuit of happiness and satisfaction. And perhaps you know that's the case in your life too. Maybe that's why you're here this morning. You got an invitation from someone, you thought, well, I'll give it a go. I'll go and see what it's like, what they're going to say. Because deep down, maybe you know. Maybe you've been coming for years looking for that something. Well, look, Jesus has an offer for you, an invitation, if you will. Jesus says, verse 14, whoever drinks this water I give him will never thirst. That's the offer. Jesus offers to quench my thirst. It's such a great offer. He offers water from a spring. Do you see that verse 14? A spring that bubbles up to eternal life. Now this is very, very important. The woman was at a well, but Jesus speaks of a spring. And the difference between a well and a spring is immense. A well in the Near East was actually a cistern. It collected rainwater. If it didn't rain, it would be dry. And you know, you could build over a well like that, fill it up with all kinds of rubble and rubbish and build on top of it and that would be the end of it. But a spring is different. It's impossible to build on a spring and to stop it from bubbling up. You can throw rubble and dirt in and try to build on top of it and that spring will keep on breaking through. It keeps bubbling up. You can't get rid of it. You see, when we have Jesus, well, it doesn't mean that, uh, that you don't, Uh, keep doing bad things but when you have Jesus this spring of water in your life it it doesn't doesn't mean that all the rubbish is gone it doesn't mean that you that you never feel hurt or dissatisfied or let down by life it doesn't mean that you never chase after other things but it does mean that you can never stop this thirst quenching water in your life from bubbling up I don't know where this connects with you at all but I've found this again and again for me See, my problem is, and and see if this connects with you, I keep finding myself distracted. I keep looking to other things for my satisfaction. I I know the answers, Jesus, but I keep looking for something else. 
Even though I know that he alone can quench my thirst, every time I read the newspaper or watch the adverts or, 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 or talk to others, all the time I'm being told that life is so much better when I've got money to burn and when I can go on exotic holidays and have tons of leisure time and have a new mobile phone and a perfect body and a new love in my life. And that message is all around me. And I keep believing it. And so all the time I keep taking my eye off the ball and I keep wanting, if I can put it this way, to lower the bucket of my soul into something else to quench my thirst. So you see, today I need to hear what Jesus said. This has been great for me this week studying this. I need to hear verse 14 because I keep drinking from other things. And those things, like like salt water, leave me thirsty. But here's the thing. Even when I get these these things wrong even when I do and I do it so often go after other things even when I get things out of perspective even when I start to put rubbish in my life and run after these other things that don't quench my thirst all this rubbish can't stop the spring of eternal life bubbling up and welling up inside me so with Jesus when you're confused clarity bubbles up and breaks through when you're depressed and despairing hope bubbles up When you're distressed, you find peace breaking through. There's a moment in the Lord of of the Rings that uh, illustrates just how wonderful this is. There's Gandalf, the wizard. At one point, when he seems to be most unhappy, one of the hobbits looks into Gandalf's face and, and sees sadness. He sees him upset. But then the hobbit looks deeper and it says this, In the wizard's face he saw lines of only care and sorrow. But under there was a great joy, a fountain of mirth enough to set a kingdom laughing. When you have Jesus, when you're trusting him, no matter how much junk comes into your life, whether it be through your own bad decisions or the knocks of the world or the hurts that others bring upon you, no matter how much rubbish is thrown into your heart, living water bubbles up through. Living water giving you hope, and peace and joy and clarity and direction and meaning and satisfaction and contentment. That's what Jesus is talking about here. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And I guess it's those last two words that really make this thing relevant to everyone. Yeah, you still might be saying at this point, you know, I I really don't feel there's something missing in my life, but eternal life, that's that's something we all need. And I believe all want. In the past 23 years of pastoral ministry, I've taken many, many funerals. Uh, Down through those years, I've met many people who've given very little thought to life after death. Uh, Some people have said they're not interested in those sorts of questions until death comes knocking at their door. Because, you know, I haven't yet met anyone when I've taken a funeral who doesn't want to know if there is a heaven. We may say we're not interested in what happens when we die, but when we're face to face with death, it's a different prospect altogether. And Jesus offers... Water bubbling up to eternal life, eternal water. That's something he can offer because of his death and resurrection. His death, in his death, he deals with our sin. And in his resurrection, he proves that he can give us eternal life, life beyond the grave. 
Can I ask you, did you want that water, that eternal life water? I think everybody does. It's just whether we'll acknowledge it or not, whether we'll admit it or not. Well, there'll be a number here this morning who are saying, yeah, you know, I I do want that water. And as I close, let me tell you how you can have it. It's very easy. Jesus says, I can give this to you. That's Jesus' invitation. And you just have to come to him and say, verse 15, as the woman did, Sir, Jesus, give me this water. And when you say that, he'll say, then stop drinking from these other cisterns, these broken cisterns that leave you thirsty. That's what he does in verse 16. He identifies for this woman the other well she's been drinking from. He shows her where she's been lowering the bucket of her soul to try and quench her thirst. He says, stop drinking from there because drinking there won't quench your thirst. It'll just leave you more and more thirsty. And Jesus will do that for you. If you come to him and say, sir, give me this water, he'll say, stop drinking from that other thing. Maybe he's been doing that as I've been speaking. You know what it is that you keep going to to try and find satisfaction. Jesus is saying, don't go to that anymore. And Jesus would say, stop doing that thing. Make me the ultimate thing in your life. That's where you'll find your satisfaction. And that will bubble up to eternal life. That's how to respond to Jesus' invitation. On the uh, seats, uh, Ben has already referred to them. There's uh, these invitations to Easter. We'd love you to come back. If you are a guest here, you can come back any, any Sunday. Uh, but this would be a great uh, time to come back in a few weeks' time. And on the back of that invitation, there are a couple of things. For those of you who are saying, you know, I really want to take this even further, there's a couple of ways you could respond. But I'll leave that for you to look at and to uh, speak to the person who brought you as well. Uh, they can tell you more about that. For some... I wouldn't be at all surprised if you're not saying, I want to start with Jesus now. I don't want to wait till Easter or even for these other things. I want to start with Jesus now. And if that's you, then I've got some booklets that will tell you everything you need to know about starting with Jesus. And I'll be uh, standing uh, on the door. Uh, So please do just grab one of those from me uh, if you'd like one. Well, thanks very much for listening. You can see the band uh, are coming up quite rightly now. We're going to have a solo. The band are going to play. Nick is going to sing for us. And uh, the words of this solo... Uh, on uh, the back of the service order on page four. Uh, And so sit back and listen in as Nick sings for us.